You're listening to the Health Secrets Podcast, hosted by Jonathan Otto. Thanks for listening to the Health Secrets Podcast. This is Jonathan Otto, and I have a message for you. I've spent the last decade learning about the effects of disease through focusing on well-being in every facet of life. Today, I bring you the latest discoveries, practices, resources, and health secrets based on my travels throughout the world. I've conducted interviews with experts filming compelling stories of those who face health and wellness challenges and who want realistic solutions for healing, regenerating, and growing a healthy mind, body, and life. I want to share this valuable information, which may not be readily available to you without exhaustive research. Essentially, I've done that research for you. These episodes are created with you in mind, with the specific mission of bringing to you as much information as possible, whether mainstream or just surfacing through recent research, because I believe in the well-being of everyone. If you want to learn more, subscribe to this Health Secret podcast. Visit one of the many health and wellness platforms I've created as a resource for you, not only to improve the quality of your life, but for you to share with those you love or you know are suffering. Okay, I'm here with Dr. Davidson and we're gonna discuss some really interesting factors when it comes to autoimmune disease, what its true causes are, what its true solutions are. So I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for being here, Dr. J. Thanks for having me, Jano. It's awesome, man. Now, let's dive into the, the real issue here. Let's dive into, in a sense, the conspiracy. Conspiracy means organized secretive crime, right? And, and Conspiracy denotes what it, what it means to really get into the issue that, that can happen when industries have the opportunity to put their profit margins as the number one thing they're looking for and people's lives and their health is not necessarily the biggest problem or it's, it's really whatever serves that machine is the key. Dr. J, as a, as a doctor yourself and also looking at the industry, what do you see and what would you like to talk to the person watching about what they should understand about the autoimmune industry as a, as a whole. Yeah, well, I mean, the autoimmune industry is a massive industry. You know, okay. and you actually... Lead in again. <clears throat> so the, the autoimmune industry is a massive industry. And even by standard medical, right, definition, it's about a $100 billion industry just for medical treatment. But when you actually look at what are the major diseases in our country, that are happening, diabetes, cancer, brain cognition, dementia, heart disease. So many of these diseases are actually autoimmune in nature. So we could almost make more of a blanket statement and say that autoimmune is such a massive piece to this disease epidemic that's happening in our country. So 100 billion I think is very conservative. But you know, when you look actually through the research, they're tagging more and more conditions uh, Jonathan, you know, they're tagging them as being autoimmune in nature. So okay, just pause, just one second. When you say Jonathan, that can be like when you talk to me, but then here you just imagine you're just talking to the person, okay. right? So it's almost going into like instructional, that kind of thing. So you can okay. just come back in from that sentence and just keep talking to them. But you're doing great. I love this. So autoimmune by nature is basically, you know, when the body is attacking itself. And there's more complexities to it with the immune system, Th1 and Th2, but when you kind of take a step back and say, okay, well, what is an autoimmune condition? You hear about lupus, you hear about rheumatoid arthritis, you hear about, which RA, uh, you hear about MS, multiple sclerosis, 
uh, you know, and a lot of gut issues like ulcerative colitis, Crohn's, you know, fall into this autoimmune category. But when you actually start looking through science, more and more conditions and diseases are actually getting thrown into this. So now we have well over 200 different conditions that are now being classified as autoimmune in nature. Things like autism, things like type 2 diabetes, always, always been known for type 1 diabetes to be autoimmune, but now they're classifying type 2 is in that category. Cancer, I mean these are huge diseases and huge conditions that are now being thrown into the autoimmune pot. So when we actually look at autoimmune, it's, it's almost scary to think where, where it's moving toward, you know? Great. I appreciate you expressing that. And I think that what you're helping us to understand is the universal nature of autoimmune disease today. And I think that there's no greater service that we can do when we start opening this conversation. It's just like, not this just concerns um, my aunt or this particular person. This concerns me because I live in a world today that that same person that I know that has Crohn's, that same person that I know has thyroid Hashimoto's, right? So if, if these things are happening to these people, how do you know it's not happening to you? Well, really the, the truth is that it most likely is happening to you right now. And, and it's a scary, scary statement to say, right? Because it, it, to some degree, it's a little more fear-based, right? Like, oh my gosh, I'm... But autoimmune in nature is slow developing. And oftentimes, symptoms don't show up right away. Symptoms are years later. When you start looking back and it's like, gosh, when did this actually happen? This was probably 10, 20 years ago in development. And when I look at our culture right now, I see a massive epidemic of digestive gut issues. And one of the primary gateways to trigger autoimmune is having gut issues. So if you have any type of digestive symptom, I mean, you, you wanna say, okay, this is opening me up to possibly even trigger an autoimmune in my body. So fixing the gut, making sure the gut is healthy is really a critical thing, but it, it, it's quite daunting actually when you think about how many people probably do have autoimmune right now. That's a really good, uh piece of reference for us. Now, when it comes to the healthcare industry and the con conventional medical approach to autoimmune disease, what are the conventional treatments for various autoimmune conditions? What are the potential strengths and what are the potential weaknesses of these treatments for the individual that's trying to use them to get better? Yeah, I mean, when I look at what's the strength of the classic treatment for autoimmune conditions, I'm, I'm, I don't see anything on that list. So I'm pretty much from a practitioner standpoint, clinically, it's, it's what is natural, what is more of actually going to the source, and that's really the key. Because when you boil it down, autoimmune means that there's an imbalance in the immune system. You know, it's often referred to that it's your body attacking itself, which is, is correct. And it all involves the immune system. So of course, when you look at autoimmune, there's immune in the word, right? Auto uh, immune, immune system, the one primary goal for the immune system, and this is all that it does, is it kills stuff. It kills pathogens, it kills bacteria, it kills viruses, it kills parasites, and that's its job. Right now, we're dealing with an onslaught of chemical toxicity, which is starting to trigger autoimmunity that our bodies were never meant for, and it, it gets us into a bad place. But backing up and looking at the immune system, we've essentially got two arms of the immune system. We've got the Th1 and we've got the Th2. Within, within each arm of the immune system, there's a bunch of different like 
chemokines and cytokines and things, but essentially you can boil it down to we have two basic arms of the immune system. And technically there's more to it, but this is a really easy understanding. So we've got Th1 and Th2. When you have an infection, like let's say you uh, get a flu virus, you know, you catch it from somebody, the Th1 immune system is going to fire. It is the fast acting. And think of these as they're both, you know, uh, military, right? We've got the Navy and we've got the Army. So they're, they're both military, but they work a little differently. So we've got Th1 that comes in, it tags things, and then Th2 is that immune system that then comes in later, more longer term. So when we have autoimmunity, essentially what's happening is we get stuck. We get dominant Th2 or we get stuck and we get dominant Th1. So the immune system is firing one way or it's firing the other way. And this is really more of the scientific approach and the understanding of autoimmunity. And so much of what's happening right now in our society with Th1 and Th2 becoming imbalanced is this toxicity epidemic. So let's say that you get exposed to mercury toxins uh, and those mercury toxins attach to your thyroid which then can trigger something called Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune thyroid uh, condition. It was actually one of the, it was the first autoimmune condition ever uh, classified as autoimmune in nature. It was like the early 1900s. And so mercury on the thyroid, now the immune system says, wait a minute, that's not right. I'm going to go after it. Well, can our immune system kill mercury? No, it can't. Mercury cannot be killed because it's an element of the periodic table. It's not actually living like a virus, bacteria, or parasite. So what happens is then the immune system, when it's going after mercury, it's actually damaging tissue around it. When it's damaging tissue around it, now it's actually decreasing the function of the thyroid, and now all of a sudden you start having hypothyroid, and you need to take Synthroid, or you need to take some type of uh, you know thyroid to give the body some boosting. And the goal isn't that you need that to help with the body's, you know, help with the body. Inevitably, that's just treating the symptoms. So we have to identify, okay, why is the body actually attacking the immune system, or, you know, the thyroid um, cells? Why is it attacking it? And how do we shut that off? And basically what happens is this Th1, Th2 just becomes tipped one way or it becomes tipped the other way. And, you know, autoimmune in nature, we're looking at big diseases like cancer, so cancer essentially is when it becomes Th2 dominant. When you're looking at lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, MS, uh, even you know, chronic Lyme disease, that's typically more Th1 dominant. So we get stuck and that's really autoimmune as we uh, just think of it like a teeter-totter, uh, a balance when it gets pushed one way versus the other too far, that's when autoimmune gets triggered. So if we can do things that actually help to balance this out. And is there, there are some tests that can help detect Th1, Th2 balance. Uh, there's also, you can always look at using energetic testing, like muscle testing or, um, you know, different electrodermal screening to try to detect it. But then there's also this whole category to say, okay, let's say we're autoimmune. We have Th1 dominance, we have Th2 decreased, or we're the opposite. What can we do? There's some things, what they call immune modulators, that actually help balance this out no matter what direction you are. Things like vitamin D3. I mean, how many times do you hear about vitamin D3? And it's technically a hormone. We know scientifically it affects 
uh, out of the 25,000 genes we have, human, it affects about 3,000 of those genes epigenetically, uh, positive expression. So vitamin D3, super important for the body, but that immune modulates, so no matter what side you're tipped on, vitamin D will help with that. Colostrum actually helps modulate the immune system, Th1, Th2. Vitamin A, vitamin E, um, glutathione actually, superoxide dismutase. So there's actually many beneficial things that can help to uh, help balance the autoimmunity of it. Now these things I don't think are the end-all solution. I think there's more steps and we have to really peel the layers back to really find out the causes, but they can also help kind of calm down those autoimmune reactions, autoimmune uh, storms that, that people get into. Dr. Davidson, when it comes to the industry, the healthcare industry, pharmaceutical drugs, pharmaceutical companies, now, is this problem with autoimmune disease, the fact that from what you're saying, a lot of the drugs are not working, a lot of the drugs are not effective, uh, a lot of the drugs are causing problems, and we can talk more about that later, but what's the problem here? Is it simply because there's a lack of information or they're just not up to date with what's, what might be working for certain people that we're coming in contact with, they're getting remarkable results, remarkable results or is there something else at stake here? It's a great question. Really the answer is follow the money. Money is power and right now, you know, you're asking about corruption and it's like there's so many different levels of corruption unfortunately that are happening. I mean you can go back to the early 1900s I believe when Rockefeller um, you know, basically donated a ton of money to medical schools, but in agreement they wanted to influence the curriculum. And that's really when everything started shifting from what we know that's naturally made, that's effective uh, to help people, to now it's, you know, synthetic, pharmaceutical, petroleum-based type, you know, chemicals and ingredients and things that, which by law are the only things that can, that they can say cure anything, but in reality it's, probably the only thing that actually won't ever cure anything you know so when you look at corruption it goes deep it goes to who's um, who's learning uh, you know the information from the pharmaceutical industry which is pretty much the modern doctor right now and the whole system is set up for that I mean you look at when I look at corruption um, Jonathan I mean when I look at it one of the areas that really I mean I I get emotional and I get upset is what's happening with kids nowadays from the birth process like pregnant moms. So pregnant mom gets a Rogam shot which has the highest amount of mercury of any vaccine before a baby's born. Uh, babies aren't, you know, the, the child in the womb isn't getting to determine, hey, I'm ready to come out. It's a doctor or somebody else setting that date for them. So okay, uh, we're gonna, yeah, your pregnancy will fall on this date because uh, we don't want you to go too long, you know, God forbid we'll let the baby decide when it's ready to come out. So we're going to puncture the amniotic sac. Oh wait, things aren't picking up, so we're going to give the mom Pitocin, which then puts the baby into fetal stress, which they know that does that. That's why they do a fetal monitor. And then that leads to more interventions such as drugs and then possibly even C-section. And it's that medical intervention that then starts racking up bills and then the hospital system can actually make a lot of money that way. And I mean, the, the rabbit hole goes deep. So even if somebody does a natural birth, for instance, oftentimes they'll put mom on her back. And this doesn't happen all the time, but this is the standard. Um, and the goal is that, that you or your loved ones don't become the standard, right? We, we step out of this uh, 
horribly put together medical standard box and actually look at you know how are our bodies designed but they'll put mom on her back trying to push in labor which is one of the hardest positions to actually push a child out like reverse gravity uh, you know up over the tailbone to get a child out let's say the child comes out there's usually five six foreign people that are catching the baby clipping the umbilical cord right away before the, before the baby's taken its last nutrients and oxygen and blood from the umbilical cord. You always want to wait till that stops, then you can clamp it, then cut it. But it really should be dad catching, it should be baby going right on the chest of mom because baby's got all this sensory on the head, on the body. And what do we do in the medical world? We, some foreign person catches the baby to bond with the baby that I'll never see again immediately wraps it up, cleans it up, puts a hat on and, and then you know, puts it uh, you know, off to the side or if it does give it to mom then the baby's sitting on mom but the baby's got all the sensory covered up and then all of a sudden then a lack of bonding actually happens between mom and the baby and it's all these traumas that I believe actually increase the risk of a child developing a type of condition like autism developing autoimmunity. I mean research shows that if mom gets a bladder or a urinary infection while pregnant the increased risk of autoimmunity uh, for that child increases like 40%. Autism actually increases. You know if mom has celiac disease which is an autoimmune you know basically disease of the gut you know reacting to gluten the child is highly more likely to have autoimmune conditions like autism. So all these different traumas um, play such a big role and I, I believe that that right there, I mean you're asking about conspiracy and you said conspiracy is really, uh, what was your definition? Secret organized crime. Yeah, secret organized crime. Like I, I believe that they reverse engineered the birth process and, say it, and, and said okay how can I cause the most harm to a child and mom and let's do that and then now we're going to have patients for life that we can enter into this system that we're going to give drugs to that are never ever going to treat the underlying cause but we'll just try to manage symptoms but keep them in, 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 in the system because they make money when you're sick and our bodies were designed to be well but we just have to figure out what we're our, you know, what's, what's going to support that process. Thank you for sharing that and I think that what you're sharing here is very uh, aggravating, it's very upsetting for the people watching and it's one of two things, it's either intentional or it's unintentional, right? If it's intentional then we have reason to be outraged and we do need a revolution, right? We need a revolution, we need to think like revolutionaries in regards to our own health. We can't be uh, following the stream, the stream leads to destruction and, and then and also, secondly, if it's not intentional, if it's unintentional, if the medical institutions, if the pharmaceutical bodies are doing these things by accident, then I'm willing to give them the benefit of a doubt. But the challenge with that thought is that there's, there's a lot more research that could have been done. There's a lot more uh, questions that could have been asked if there was good intention. There was really great intention. There's more questions that could be asked. What's causing these problems? Because what's often happening, they're not willing to look where where um, their solution is, right? So if 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 the problem is anywhere close to the solution they're offering, that's something that becomes unknown. Leaky gut is one of those examples where leaky gut is quite unknown as to what's causing it, but um, but we know that um, pharmaceutical drugs are reaping wreaking havoc on the gut. And um, for example, the, the 100 million Americans that are reporting um, 
uh, chronic pain issues are also reporting gut-related issues, leaky gut-related issues, right? So pain medications causing leaky gut, absolutely, right? Deep connections. But um, let's keep you going with uh, where, where you're going with this. So when it comes to the, um, Dr. J, when it, sorry. Keep going on the conspiracy yeah, side. Of yeah, it, why not? So, right? This yeah. is exciting. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, um, okay, where, where does that take you? Well, so your, your, your comment, Jonathan, that, you know, whether it's intentional or unintentional, it's like, you're, you're just, you're too good of a person, like, it, it is intentional. And you can see this in so many different aspects of the mainstream medical world. I mean, they are literally systematically trying to abolish homeopathy. They're literally trying to remove that as a treatment. Uh, so, and, and this has happened, acupuncture, chiropractic, I mean, there's been agendas in the medical world to systematically try to remove anything that competes to the pharmaceutical agenda into the pharmaceutical, you know, treatment realm. Because anything that's natural that doesn't fit into that, they don't profit, so they want to remove it. And it, it's, a, it's a scary time right now, knowing that with their agenda, it's just gonna keep going. And it really does need to be, a revolution needs to happen. I mean, people need to stand up and say, for crying out loud, we need to make a change. Like the direction we're moving in, when you look at autism, and it was you know one in 10,000 kids in 1980, maybe 1970, and then in 2013, the CDC said, one in 50 kids are autistic right now, or on the autistic spectrum. And then you have researchers, prominent, from MIT, Dr. Stephanie Seneff, saying in 2032, right now, the way the trends are going, it's gonna be one in two kids are gonna be autistic. I mean, at what point do we have to stand up and say enough of this and we need to figure out what can we do to support the body naturally? And unfortunately right now, there are doctors, natural doctors and people, advocates in the autism world and the cancer world that are looking for alternative treatments and they're coming up mysteriously dead. You know, we're looking at maybe 80, 90, even 100 doctors or researchers in this natural alternative world realm looking for answers outside the pharmaceutical have come up dead in the last couple of years. I mean, how scary is that? I mean, I go to bed and I am on alert because this is, this is a time and place where we need to make a change. And if we continue down the path, it is scary uh, of what's going to continue to happen with our health and our family and our children. Uh, Jay, thank you for sharing that, man. Um, if you were to uh, answer this, for you, what is it, like, if, when you take in the feeling of what is happening right now in the world, both with other people's lives and even in your own life, the situation that, that, that has put you in as a practitioner, um, a father, how does that make you feel? To be honest, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I, I want to continue because of the resistance. Like there's that, there's that point, in a, and I feel like probably even the listener right now, you know, with whatever health struggle, autoimmune, you know, you're dealing with, or even family member, where you get to a point where you're like, is it even worth it to keep going? And, you know, it always comes back to what's your why? Like what drives you? And I will tell you that I have a five and a half year old daughter um, that was a blessing, and it really forced us to do things and help my wife that we wouldn't have if she didn't come along. But I look at you know where we're gonna be in 20, 30, 40 years, and if I have the opportunity to change it, I'm going to, because I want a better future for my daughter. And it's that mentality that's gonna allow us to change the culture in the health world, 
but it's also going to allow you to move forward and get well health-wise because there's, there's always dips. You know, we always think it's like this, you know, Jonathan, we think it's like this linear climb, right? Like, oh, I've, I've figured out what I, what I have. Now I'm going to start, you know, removing the sources and fixing and really working on my body. I'm going to start going like this. It, it's like this. Like there's days where you just, you don't feel well and it is what it is. But you got to keep your eye on the bigger picture because that's, that's, that's the direction you're going in. Don't focus so much on how you're feeling today if it's not good. Think about the big picture. Obviously, you want to live in the moment, but it's really that that I, I hope I can give some hope to the listener to know, you know what, there is hope. And even if we're up against a wall, you know what, I'm going to fight even harder because that's just my nature. You know, there's a time where I'm like, is it worth it? And then I'm like, but what else would I do? Like, I, I'm put on this earth for this, to help with this. That's awesome, man. I appreciate your commitment to that calling. And it's made a difference in my life as well. I just appreciate that, that you've chosen to respond in that way. It's really cool. It's really cool. And it's really meaningful because I'm, I'm thinking about all the suffering right now. I'm thinking about what people are experiencing. Um, the suffering is so great. And the need to reach deeper and to find that hope to find that why, that motivating factor, is the, is the separator. It changes. It separates those that just never turn their situation around from those that, that do. They turn it around, both in their mind, their heart, and their body. So, it's awesome. Now, let's, so let's get into the solution, right? So, what is the solution, Dr. Davidson? Like, when you look at Dr. J, what is the solution to autoimmune disease? You talked about the fact that you don't believe that pharmaceuticals are the answer. And you can let me know if you have believed or found research to suggest that autoimmune diseases can also be triggered from taking the drugs that are used to prevent or to treat a certain autoimmune disease. So you can let me know uh, about that as well. But, but if that isn't the solution, if pharmaceutical drugs are not the solution, then what is? Yeah, well... I mean, I just think about my wife's journey when she was seven years old and she uh, started having symptoms and getting sick and the doctors didn't know what was going on and they gave her some medication to cause brain encephalitis and then she went into a coma for six weeks and they ended up finding out that she had Lyme disease and then as soon as they found out she had Lyme disease and this is, you know, almost 30 years ago now, but uh, when she found out she had Lyme disease, they gave her, you know, antibiotics, IV, PICLINE, uh, antibiotics for about a year and then oral antibiotics for another year. And I just look at, you know, if that was the answer for her in that case, because oftentimes chronic Lyme will be in the autoimmune category as, as well. But if that was the answer for her, she wouldn't have had a need for heart surgery. She wouldn't have had a need for sinus scraping. She wouldn't have had to, you know, remove herself from uh, entering the Junior Olympics for swimming because of her health issues. Like, you know, all these different things triggered from that. And I always just see that being a Band-Aid you know, just trying to cover up symptoms. And research has actually shown, uh, Jonathan, that vaccines can trigger autoimmunity and actually will, like different autoimmune conditions. So that's when you look at the pharmaceutical industry, it's often looked at of just the prescription pill side. But the vaccine or vaccination side is a, almost a bigger money maker for them. And it's really scary what's happening with the laws where there's actually not you know, the choice to choose whether you want to or not, you know, and it's always up to everybody's own opinion in that category. But when you actually look at the pharmaceutical industry, I mean, it's this huge umbrella. It is multi-trillion dollar 
you know, businesses and fortune, you know, like 50 companies, you know, like they're, they're up there. So there's always profit. There's always motives, you know, really behind that. Yep. So the solutions that have side effects are not within the thing that you're looking for. They're not within the things that I'm looking for as an investigator and a journalist that's looking for answers. Um, certainly things that have side benefits are what I'm looking for. And I, I, I personally have a belief in God and God being a creator. And that's why I really enjoy looking at nature's benefits and looking at, wow, this plant, I'm, I'm trying to use it to help me for this particular thing, but it just so happened to help this other thing. Like these side benefits that are in these beautifully, I believe, d intelligently designed things that we've been given that, that actually can help us with our health and other lifestyle practices. Um, what do you see as the solution that we can be using today to help us to reverse and to prevent autoimmune disease? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So when you're looking at solution, you always want to look at the cause, you know. So in order to, in order to identify, okay, what do I need to do to get my body well, you have to identify what actually triggered it in the first place. And the big four things that I see from a practitioner side of things, uh, Lyme disease and co-infections, which is it's, it's in the pathogen uh, category, You've got mold, and mold is a very major issue household. If there's ever been water damage in your house, if you ever feel better when you're outside of your house, um, sick building syndrome, a lot of the work environments actually have mold to them. So we've got Lyme and co-infections being a big trigger, mold being a big trigger, um, heavy metal toxicity, and you could say toxins in general, but there's such a big modern day epidemic of heavy metal toxicity that's happening right now. And also we know mercury directly provokes autoimmunity in people, demyelinase, the sheath, which is basically like MS, multiple sclerosis. And then the fourth thing I would throw into that category is parasites. And in that, there's controversial treatments in the holistic world for parasites and for gut issues, which we can get into. Um, but it's really these four things that if you have any of these going on, they're going to negatively affect the digestive tract. They're negatively going to affect, negatively affect the thyroid, the adrenals. They're going to negatively impact the things that are what I consider downstream. So oftentimes, even in the functional medicine world, we'll go through an adrenal protocol or we'll go through a thyroid protocol you know, to try to help support that organ. The question always to ask is what is the source of that? And if we can identify what that is, and then remove it, now all of a sudden everything that's downstream can start getting better. And from an autoimmune standpoint, Dr. Alicio Fasano, 2009 actually wrote an article in the Townsend Letter on this, and he basically said that there are, when you're looking at autoimmunity, you can consider it a three-legged stool. So if you imagine a stool with three legs on it, if you take any leg out of a three-legged stool, what happens to the stool? It tips over. And what he's saying is you imagine autoimmune on top. And as soon as you pull a leg out, that stool tips. Now you've triggered autoimmunity. And when you look at the three legs, he says one of them is environmental triggers or really what we'd consider like the stressor category. Another one is genes or genetics, which I would also say the, the genetic expression in that. And then the third leg by itself is actually leaky gut. And from a science standpoint, you know, for any researcher, you know, listening to this right now, you know, if you're a researcher, you get a little like, well, is leaky gut even a real thing? Well, when you actually go onto PubMed and type in leaky gut, you're going to find all kinds of stuff. Now, five, ten years ago, not so much. 
but it, it did exist, but it used the name intestinal permeability. So intestinal permeability just means that uh, essentially, um, you know, that there's a, essentially the, the junctions in your gut are open bigger than they should be, letting things in that shouldn't be. And when you let things in, like big undenatured proteins or, you know, um, any type of food, any type of pathogen, let it in, now the body's going to start attacking it. And that's usually where autoimmunity starts getting triggered. So the gut, for sure, super important, leaky gut, but it's usually a downstream issue, you know, like uh, mold, parasites, uh, heavy metal toxicity, Lyme and its co-infections are usually upstream of what causes downstream issues like gut issues. And we can't forget about the mental, mind, emotional stressors, but um, you know, that, that's another piece to the puzzle too. Dr. J, so you're talking about four key areas for somebody to assess. Now, whether somebody has arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, whether somebody has lupus, whether somebody has Hashimoto's thyroiditis, you're saying that regardless of which of the 80 plus autoimmune diseases you have, these are the four steps you need to assess in every one of those cases. And if you can understand this, if you can correct this, then you can expect great results. Is that true? Yes. Yeah. If you can identify what the underlying source or sources to your health issues, you know, our bodies were made to heal. If we can remove that, you should absolutely be able to heal. If you can remove the source, you can absolutely get well. The body was designed to heal. As long as we can figure out what's interfering with the ability for the body to function, remove that, the body can absolutely get well, for sure. Yeah, I think the only other thing with this particular topic that I'd like you to either emphasize or correct with how I understand is that really you're looking at these 80 plus autoimmune diseases as being part of a conglomerate, something that not only people that are feeling that they or knowing that they have an autoimmune condition, but all people need to really assess this, even if they're well. And, and, if, and if that's correct, then yeah, if there's anything that you could say perhaps to the viewer to help them understand that if they have certain thing, if there aren't, and if, you know, it seems like there's all these different things that people have, so there must be all different kinds, like I've got this medication, you've got that medication, I've got thyroid disease, you've got, you've got colitis. So you take that medication, I take this one. Um, there must be some specific ways to particularly kind of go after something for additional benefit. But at the same time, it, it appears that people have unknowingly cleared their body of certain conditions when they've simply just gone and done a certain protocol. And they've sometimes cleared multiple conditions. Like a lot of people that have cancer also have autoimmunity. So sometimes they're going after cancer, but then they happen like, and they use holistic protocols, they happen to kick their autoimmunity to the curb. And I just think that they, we, need to, we need to really emphasize the, the systematic nature of this in order for the, the person watching to really understand, hey, this is, um, there's, there's a powerful tool set that's valuable to all people. Whatever condition I have as I'm watching this series, every single piece of information is gonna be valuable to me. What would you like to say in regards to that? It's a great point when we're looking at a label. So I feel like from a, a clinical side, um, you know, and I'm working with a client, it's easy to get caught into, I want a certain diagnosis. I'm just looking like, what is the, what do I have, right? Oh, I've got MS, uh, or I've, I've, I've been diagnosed with lupus, or I've been diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. And then it's like all of a sudden it stops from there. 
Like all I wanted was a name. And I would say, let's remove that, the label. Because inevitably it still is not telling us what's the source of it. Like why did, show up, why did MS or RA or lupus show up when you're 35 years old and you didn't have it when you were younger? It's obviously not genes, it's something got triggered, something's a source of it. So let's just try to put the label to the side and boil down and try to figure out, okay, what are the underlying issues in my body and how can I remedy them? When you're looking at autoimmunity, Sjogren's, Tourette syndrome, lupus, RA, multiple sclerosis, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, like any of these diagnoses, from a clinical standpoint, I always want to rule Lyme disease out. Now, am I saying that if you've been diagnosed with any of the ones I just you know, mentioned, you have Lyme disease? No. But so oftentimes, you know, Lyme disease is known as the great mimicker. And if we just say, oh, I've got RA, and we stop trying to figure out, well, what triggered that? Why do I even have it? If that is a correct diagnosis, then we stop looking at the source where it could be a bacteria like Lyme disease that actually triggers this or mercury toxicity, right? You get a filling drilled out, the mercury exposure sets the body over and all of a sudden you're developed MS and you're not sure how that happened. You know, we don't want to just settle for a label. We always want to look at the source. We want to find the source and correct that. Awesome. And then if somebody wants to go after Lyme, we're going to talk about that in a later episode. And then would you be willing to share exactly how they can go and get tested, that kind of thing? Absolutely. Excellent. Now, what would you say to somebody that was in, has been enjoying this series and they just, they feel like, ah, oh, they want to continue this journey. What do you see in the value of like, of taking this resource and supporting this mission and getting it out to other people that they love? Oh my gosh. This is so important. I mean, you're listening right now and you know the value you're getting from it. Um, I mean, adding these things to your library, I always look at it as, you know, I want to help other people. So I'm going to add it to my library and when there's a need, I'm going to, you know, tell people like, hey, you need to watch this. Um, this information though, you can't, you, you don't get it from a textbook. You don't get it from a conventional doctor visit. Um, I just don't know how else you would get this information without participating and really having it. So the value to me, like, I don't care what number you put on it, it, it is worth it because this is things that when you learn them can shift what you do and what your family does and put you on a completely different path. Because right now, the number one reason for bankruptcy in our country is for medical expenses. And that person that gets the bankruptcy from medical expenses, guess what? They say it's not going to be who? Well, it's not going to be me, but statistics show that unless we do something different than what the classic pathway is for us, um, you know, as an American or if you're overseas watching this, you know, we're going to fall into that same trap. And so if we can take care of our health, function optimally, it puts us on a different path and it's like there's abundance, you know, there's abundance. Yeah, so take action today because we always think about I'll do it tomorrow, but tomorrow's always ahead and it's just like act today. Take action now and when you look back in a year, you're going to be like, wow, I'm so glad I did that. Might seem like a big step now, but just keep moving forward, you know, one step at a time and this is just something that can really help you a lot. Episode 2. Dr. J, we're about to look at lupus, arthritis hormone imbalances, and we're also going to look at thyroid-related con conditions and even fertility. So let's dive in and have a look at these group, these, these group of 
let's dive in and have a look at this group of issues and how we can go about finding solutions and identifying what the real problem is in each of these cases. So let's start where you'd like to start. Let's have a look at, um, I'll let you kind of go from there. Why don't you begin first, Jay? Yeah, thyroid is a great place to start. Uh, the thyroid is gaining a lot of attention. There's doctors out there uh, like Dr. Barnes who says that 90%, this is, I mean, this is huge, 90% of men and women in America have subclinical hypothyroid, meaning they're actually exhibiting some symptoms, but they don't know that there's actually lower functioning thyroid. I mean, 90%. And then of that 90%, majority of those are women, 80 to 90% are, are mostly women. And of those, uh, you know, 80 or 90% of those are autoimmune. So when you start extrapolating that, it's like, okay, a ton of people have thyroid issues. Uh, most of them are women and a lot of it's autoimmune. It's like, I mean, the stats seem pretty high, but I think the foundation really allows us to look at and say, okay, thyroid's a big deal right now in our society. Thyroid's a big issue in our uh, country, or, I mean, really across, across the globe. Thyroid's big for, uh, you know, basically your metabolism, your energy level, you know, hair, skin. I mean, there's so many things that it actually plays a role with. Um, so oftentimes, you know, thyroid will show people that can't lose weight, hormonally related, thyroid can be affected with that. Um, then you have this other classification of the, you know, chronically ill and they're underweight and they're worried, you know, I can't fast or I can't do anything because I don't want to lose more weight. So you have this like spectrum and thyroid fits really into that niche. So how do you know if you have a thyroid disease or a thyroid condition? Um, you can simply go and get some blood work done and get tested for it. Now there are signs and symptoms. I mean, the face is really a great place to look at signs and symptoms. If you're missing like the outer third of your eyebrows, thyroid type symptom, um, you know, that, that's a nice one to look at. But when you go in, you can have some blood work done. Uh, blood work, the standard blood work that they run is TSH, which is thyroid stimulating hormone which when I look at that, I'm like, wait a minute, the TSH isn't even produced by the thyroid. So some doctors will only use TSH as a marker for thyroid, but it's actually not even produced by the thyroid. It's very interesting. So TSH is basically produced by the pituitary in the brain to then signal to the thyroid, hey, do something. <laughs> like, go, go do some work, go, you know, go produce hormones, T4, T3. So your thyroid produces T4 and it, then it will produce a small amount of T3 Majority though of the T4 will get converted to T3 in the liver. So when we're looking at thyroid, it's not just about the thyroid. So often I see clinically that the liver is actually a fundamental issue of why people have thyroid problems that they can't convert T4 to T3. Um, so fixing the liver is a big thing and we can get into more of that. But when you're running blood work, you wanna look at TSH, you wanna look at T4 and T3, and there's two different types, there's free, F-R-E-E, -E, and then also total. So free T3, free T4, total T4, total T3, and then you're looking again TSH. You, you wanna look at reverse T3, that goes high typically in chronic infection or bodies chronically stressed out, so reverse T3. And then uh, the other two things you wanna look at are antibodies like TG, TPO, uh, antibodies. And if the antibodies are high, then that usually signals autoimmunity. But, so when I think about with my wife, when she was pregnant with my daughter, um, started having some heart palpitations. This was uh, either the second or third, beginning of third trimester, started having some issues and we're like, oh my gosh, you know, like, what are we gonna do? There's a baby inside you. Um, went and got tested, 
came up Hashimoto's uh, antibodies for thyroid were elevated. We're like, oh great, now we have an you know, autoimmune uh, condition going on. And then she actually had an ultrasound done on her thyroid that showed nodules as well. So there's, there's multiple things that you can do to look at it, but I think if you just run a complete thyroid panel, that's a good foundation to detect, you know, does somebody, Jonathan, actually have thyroid disease or a condition or not? That's really helpful, thank you. Now, so let's go a little bit more into then thyroid disease while we're on this subject. So how can one improve their thyroid function? Now, when it comes to this certain uh, thought, today many people are feeling, and I know that there are many doctors that are saying, here's the drug that you take, and, and this may be Synthroid or it may be another one, uh, and depending if it's a hyper or hypoactive thyroid, right, Hashimoto's or Graves or something like that, then, but nevertheless, in the majority of these cases, they'll say, you've got to take this for the rest of your life. Obviously, there's an exception if you have had your thyroid removed, then that's absolutely true. Yep. But, um, but that's often people have also had their thyroids removed when they haven't had to. And that for me is one of the most kind of diabolical kind of things that's happening right now. It's like, I feel like it's, it's the putting leeches, it's the bloodletting, it's the really wacky kind of treatment that you would look back and you'd laugh about it, but it's happening today. People are having their thyroids taken out when they don't need to. And then they're a lifetime drug, uh, you know, they're lifetime dependent on Customer. a drug. Yep. And that is um, what, what a lot of business people will want to get, a lifetime customer. And this is the most illicit way to do it. And so, uh, so I'm interested to hear what your thoughts are on that. And then also whether for people that have a thyroid, do they have to take medication for the rest of their life? And how do they have, and, and if it is possible, can somebody's thyroid start producing uh, the, the thyroid stimulating hormone uh, once again? Did I say that correctly? Uh, so the thyroid produces T4 and a little bit of T3. Okay, so can, can the person have their thyroid start producing or begin to produce T4 and T3 once again? Yeah, that's a great question. It really comes down to if you've had your thyroid removed, like completely removed, then there's not that organ really to produce the thyroid hormones needed. And then, yeah, you get basically stuck being a lifetime customer. You know, Synthroid, Levothyroxine, then people usually will switch to Armour. And what's interesting about armor from a pharmaceutical manufacturing side of it, it's oftentimes made with gluten, uh, which gluten has the molecular mimicry uh, to actually negatively affect the thyroid. So um, when you're looking at, you know, what do you have to take if you're having to be on something, obviously you want to find a thyroid expert and somebody that can help, um, you know, really monitor your thyroid levels, give you the right stuff. Uh, but compound pharmacy, you know, compound, um, compounding things so you know what all the ingredients are, are important. Now, if you have a thyroid, I see no reason why you can't get that to start working. I mean, when somebody's actually given uh, like T4, or T3, all of a sudden we notice on lab work like TSH tanks. And TSH again is brain signal to thyroid to make hormone. So if there's already thyroid hormone that you're taking, of course the brain's not going to tell the thyroid to make more because there's already you know, stuff the, the body is getting from what you're ingesting. It's kind of that negative feedback loop, like, oh, I'm not going to make it. So imagine if you stop, stop that, you can start reprogramming. Now, it's a, it's a slippery slope, though, when you do that because your body's used to it. So this is always something you want to work with a trained professional, uh, you know, in this category as far as, you know, what you need to do and how do you manage your hormones. But inevitably, it comes back to, okay, what are the sources of why you have thyroid issues? 
So top solutions really when you're looking at the thyroid is figuring out, okay, why is the immune, like in Hashimoto case where the immune system is actually attacking the tissue of the thyroid, why is that happening? And there's three big causes that I've seen, uh, toxicity, pathogens, um, such as like Lyme disease and other co-infections, and then I would also throw uh, parasites into the mix as well too. So I mean you could put parasites in the pathogen category, but really toxicity and pathogens as a whole are big sources of why people have thyroid issues. And then you don't want to discount, uh, you also don't want to discount diet that certain foods that you're consuming, um, potentially you know synthetic um, damaging foods are actually affecting, negatively affecting the thyroid or the body actually attacking it, like gluten, you know, the whole molecular, molecular mimicry, uh, basically. So um, I've seen for thyroid cases, Jonathan, I've seen um, somebody diagnosed with blastocystis hominis having some other type of parasites, at least when they're you know, clearing parasites out, seeing ropeworm and strongyloides and all, you know, pinworms and these things. And when they clear that out, all of a sudden, like, the thyroid function normalizes, you know, where they have to start adjusting what they're on, and they adjust it so much that it's like they don't even need it anymore. And adjust their levels so they don't need their drugs anymore. Okay. Okay. Um, so, do I understand correctly, Dr. J, that it was a parasitic infection that was actually causing the, the issue for that person's thyroid, um, not producing enough T4 and T3 hormone, correct? Yeah, yeah, in that case, it was literally cleansing parasites out of the body that completely changed that person's health, and thyroid included was like the byproduct, right? The, the side effect, or what you could call the good effect that happened, you know, when you clear, the, clear those out. Great. And what do you think for how universal that particular problem might be? For example, parasites causing a thyroid problem. Do you feel like it was just that one particular person, probably no one else, or what do you think? <laughs> no, my, my good friend, uh, Dr. Todd Watts, he's got a test, uh, and I love this test. He says, okay, take these two fingers, right, and uh, see if you can find your pulse on your wrist, or if you want, right on your carotid here. And if you feel a pulse, then that's a positive for parasite issues. And it's a little sarcastic, but truth in the fact that there is a modern day parasite epidemic that's happening, especially in our country of America, or at least where I reside, that the issue is, is we don't think there's a parasite issue in America because we're a first world country, so therefore we don't look for it. But if we even run tests, the people you know, looking at the tests aren't necessarily trained to try to identify if that actually is a parasite so we don't find it. So it continues this you know, uh, negative feedback loop that parasites aren't an issue and I'm, here to say like clinically, because I'm you know, kind of more known as the Lyme disease guy, that when I look at what has been game changers for clients to you know, get out of being bed bound and can't function and ready to you know, take their own life, to all of a sudden being functioning and having a life again and, and being healthy and happy, parasites has been, parasite cleansing uh, and really removing parasites has been one of the most profound things I've seen actually clinically. Wonderful. So, if you were to if you were to choose the group of things, for example, like if somebody's gluten sensitive, taking gluten out of their diet, if if somebody is exposing themselves to electromagnetic radiation, and you just choose all the different things that it triggers, uh, you, if I understand you correctly, you're saying parasites for you with your patient group has been the number one. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, parasites are very impactful. 
but there's an order to it. And this is probably one of the most important things for the listener to understand is, you know, if you have mold exposure in your house or in your workplace, you have to remedy, you have to remedy that. If you can't remedy it, you have to remove yourself from the environment. Like you just trying to get well of an autoimmune condition or some unexplained condition and having the source still there, you know, in your house or at your workplace, like it's just, it's an uphill battle that you're not going to win. So mold is an important one to make sure to rule out and remedy or even remove yourself, which would be like the worst case, right? Having to relocate. Um, but I feel like, you know, so oftentimes we get challenged with that when we get too attached to things that don't matter, like physical objects, stuff, you know, whatever. But uh, so rule mold out. And then if we've got parasites, if we've got heavy metal toxicity, and then we've got other pathogens like Lyme and co-infections, there's an order to it. And parasites is always earlier on in the process that it needs to be dealt with. And here's why. Parasites absorb heavy metals. They're basically like a giant sponge. So any heavy metal exposure that you're uh, exposed to, the body will try to get rid of it, but inevitably it'll deposit it. Or if there's parasites, the parasites will actually absorb it. So now all of a sudden the parasites are actually helping you with the heavy metal toxicity that you're you know, struggling with or, or dealing with. Um, parasites also will hold mold spores. So if you're in a moldy environment, remove yourself from it, but now you're still having like mold illness you know, type symptoms. You could still you could be in a clean environment, but you could be struggling because the mold spores are living inside the parasites, and then the mold spores are releasing and still making you mold sick, even though the environment isn't. And then the last thing, uh, there was a, a researcher, Alan McDonald, that actually found that Lyme disease lives happily in parasites such as nematodes. So for somebody that's like battling chronic Lyme disease, and you know on either the antibiotic route, you know long-term antibiotics, or even the natural herbal route, and they just hit a wall, and they're like, I just can't get over this. You have to look at what's what's Lyme, the bacteria, protecting itself with. Heavy metals it protects itself with. Parasites will hide inside of it. So if you don't address the parasites, it's very hard to actually remove all the heavy metal toxicity from the body. And also, if you don't remove the parasites, it's really hard to get to the smaller infections, such as viruses, such as bacteria like Lyme disease. All right, Dr. Davidson, let's go on to some hormonal challenges here. So if you could talk about the hormonal challenges that people can have and as, as that relates to autoimmunity and how that can affect other areas of people's lives. For example, there might be somebody that's wanting to lose weight. There might be someone that's trying to clear their, thi their, their thyroid condition, their arthritis arthritic problem, their loop, lupus related, you know, the, the list goes on, but um, how, how does hormones play a part in that particular issue? And then also if you could move on to talking about fertility and how somebody could work on that. Yeah, well specifically, you know, Jonathan, when somebody has autoimmunity, we know from a scientific standpoint that if you have an autoimmune condition, you going through perimenopause or menopause, or for the guy, it'd be andropause, uh, which isn't often talked about, but menopause or perimenopause, that if you have an autoimmune condition, it's going to be a rougher road, uh, you know, rougher journey through that. So um, really always looking at the body as a whole and, you know, how can you heal yourself is, is an important thing. But hormones in general is big for just to feel good. So if you're deficient of estrogen, deficient of progesterone, you're converting things in the wrong manner, I mean, you can just feel like crud. You know, you can just not feel well. And so hormones, reproductive organs, they're all connected. So if somebody's even having trouble getting pregnant, you know, you want to look at ovaries, you want to look at uterus, you want to look at the hormone levels in the body. Hormones would be 
uh, estrogen, and you want to also look at the estrogen metabolites. I, I generally like a dried urine test or even a 24-hour urine test because that test is nice. It, it, I feel like it's more comprehensive than just the standard blood work because really when you're looking at risk factors hormonal-wise, if you're looking at uterine cancer, breast cancer risk, it's always the estrogen metabolite, the 4-OH, what they call the 4-OH estrogen metabolite, that then puts you at risk. Well, when you run a standard blood work for hormones, uh, you're, you can't actually look at the metabolites in the blood. So I like the 24-hour urine hormone, or also uh, Precision Analytical has a test called the Dutch, and you can actually do it at home. It stands for Dried Urine Test Comprehensive Hormones. Uh, and what it'll do is it'll look basically at the whole chart of hormones. So we can look at uh, progesterone, um, we can look at DHEA, we can look at testosterone, we can look at estrogen metabolites and how it's breaking down, methylation, we can look at how testosterone's breaking down, and it's really within that pathway you can have a better assessment of what's actually going on with the hormones. So assessing the hormones can help whether you're you know, dealing with hormonal type symptoms, menopause, perimenopause, uh, infertility issues, you know, usually lower progesterone uh, just it makes it a little bit tougher, you know, for somebody to get pregnant. But actually the physical structure, Jonathan, when you're actually looking at like the reproductive structure, you're looking at the uterus, you're looking at the ovaries, uh, fibroids, ovarian cysts, these things in here where they're like, oh, we're not sure if it's cancer, oh, it's benign. As soon as I hear that, I'm like, it's not, you know, it's not cancer, it's just some growth, you know, like a cyst. My first thing clinically that I think about is parasites. And I don't know what it is with the female reproductive organ, but especially after somebody's given birth, and actually this probably is why. When somebody's given birth, there's physical trauma to that area, like the body structure changes to get the child out. And it's usually where trauma is, is where pathogens like to go, Lyme, parasites, because there's immune weakness. So if we're looking at ovarian cysts, if we're looking at fibroids or anything like that, like I definitely would go down the parasite cleansing route. And like I said, in order, we always want to deal with parasites earlier on, and then that allows us to start detoxing chemicals and heavy metals out, and then that also allows us to start going after the smaller pathogens like Lyme disease, Epstein-Barr virus, you know, HSV, CMV, Bartonella, you know, all these different, uh, what I would consider like smaller size infections that can hide within the big one of parasites. Wow, that is enormously insightful when it, when it comes to, again, and I appreciate that you coming back to some of these things, the underlying monsters that are feeding on the body that are creating autoimmune conditions that are diagnosable and have a drug and, and it has a name, right? So we, we, we get so obsessed with the name of something that we un we've ceased to understand what it is in nature. And sometimes I, I really like to encourage people to start, start forgetting about conventional ways they've seen things, right? Start forgetting about the names. I, I remember I, I, when I was, uh, was studying literature, one of the things that was an author that was, he was writing and it was these characters and one was talking to the, to the son and the son said, what's, the dad said, what's that? And he says, the son said, it's a bird. He says, well, is it like, is, is it a, bird or is this just the name that's been given by us is this what is this this thing and then so we try to describe what it is it's this you know creature that that has it has some th things that it uses to be airborne and to and it and it sings and it does these things but like instead we like sometimes when we use terms to limit things they just become really small but this is a really glorious beautiful thing and so it, it helped me as a writer right to understand right that, that that something is not just with the name that it's been given but now when it comes to what you're talking about, 
you're looking at not just the name that something's been given, but what's probably causing it. And I found it fascinating to think about the fact that that the body's going for an area of weakness and that's what's sending off the alarm. It's going to that particular area. Okay, so Dr. J, Dr. J, so how can somebody start to work out that they might be having a hormonal problem? Uh, well, many symptoms can definitely be part of it. Um, low sex drive can definitely point to testosterone issues. Uh, inability to handle stress can point to DHEA potentially. Um, just feeling not good can mean that there's imbalances in hormones and I think many people can fit into that category. You know, like I just don't feel right or I just don't feel like calm, like something's always upsetting me. Uh, sleep issues can be indicating, I mean really there's a pretty broad spectrum because when you look at the hormone side of things, Jonathan, I mean there's multiple hormones in the chain and you know in the pathway. Okay, and then, okay so now where would you like to go from here? Where did, where did we have you? Uh, we can just talk about the pathway, like could you go, cool. or like what, like what are some options, some natural options? Okay. Yep. Okay. So, Dr. J, what are some natural options to look at uh, relieving the hormonal problem, balancing the hormones? Yeah. Uh, there's all kinds of natural great options, uh, and then there's you know there's the prescription synthetic, and then there's the more bioidentical you know categories. So there's kind of a broad spectrum, but it all comes back to the testing. Jonathan. So really, in order for you to know whether you have hormone issues or not, you really just need to run a test. Uh, I like the Dutch hormone. It's pretty inexpensive. You can do it at home. Uh, and then it's going to monitor your hormones and it's going to look at progesterone. It's going to look at DHEA. It's going to look at testosterone. And when we're looking at the pathway, understand that pregnenolone kind of sits at top. So there's a hormone called pregnenolone. And then above that actually is uh, cholesterol. So where we always say cholesterol is like the bad guy, cholesterol is the precursor to hormones. So if you want to you know, increase your risk of cancer and you want to increase your risk of having low hormones, lower your cholesterol as much as you can. Uh, and that's sarcasm to not do that, right? So uh, pregnenolone is at the top. Pregnenolone is a very smart hormone. It'll either pick to go into progesterone or it'll go into DHEA. So it kind of has that potential to pick and choose. So there's people that will um, take pregnenolone just to kick the whole pathway uh, in gear. There's people that'll just take progesterone uh, as well. There's people that'll just take DHEA, testosterone, you know, there's kind of a, a whole slew to it. But essentially, we've got pregnenolone at top, that'll split into progesterone. And then the other pathway is, is a big pathway. So we've got DHEA, pregnenolone will go to DHEA, That'll go then to testosterone, and if your testosterone is low, you can have very low sex drive, very common in chronic illness. Um, that's one of the first things that disappears is that sex drive when, when you know, the body's not doing well, hormones immediately shift gears. Uh, so you've got pregnenolone, DHEA, testosterone, and then that, testosterone will actually break down into what they call the alpha-beta, and you want to make sure, you know, that pathway is breaking down properly. So like, for instance, you know, a guy's not at risk of like prostate cancer or something. But uh, testosterone will then turn into, basically get converted into estrogen. And this is kind of the danger of testosterone, um, you know, taking is when you take testosterone, you're basically taking something that's going to turn into estrogen too. So you have to be very careful on the hormone side. I think clinically, like I'm fine with people doing natural things hormonally as long as they've look at, taken a look at their test. Um, 
but I, I always look at it as being more short term, you know, because like I still ask, what's the underlying cause of why DHEA is low, Jonathan, or what's the underlying cause of why testosterone is low? It's not because we need to take it. You know, you can take it and help you feel better, but um, you know, it's always looking at the cause. So you've got reviewing here: pregnenolone to progesterone. Pregnenolone will also go to DHEA, testosterone, and then the estrogen metabolites. And the key to look at when you're looking like at uh, report looking at the metabolites is making sure you're not getting a lot of stuff funneling to what they call the 4-OH metabolite. That one is the one that's risk um, of actually denaturing and damaging the DNA that then puts you at risk of cancer. Uh, and, and the body processes estrogen um, like the 2-OH the estrogen for instance through methylation and methylation is a huge buzzword right now but if, you, if you're not methylating properly then uh, that will put you at risk, you know, in the whole estrogen metabolism and breaking it down. So I love looking at tests. I like thinking in terms of two things, Jonathan, like to boil it down because I know there's probably a lot there. Think of two things. We always want to identify the source or sources and go after them. But what can we do in the moment to help minimize symptoms? And when we're looking at the hormone pathway, we can give somebody pregnenolone or progesterone or you know even DHEA to kind of kick things in gear or give somebody uh, you know methyl donors to help process the estrogen out to help them feel better but again it's always looking at sources to fix you know why the hormones are messed up in the first place. Thank you. Concluding this point on correcting hormonal imbalance, uh, what can you say for the results that somebody can expect in their life when they get some of these factors in line? Can, can people turn around there their, happy, their health and become happy and you, you know, get, get their life back together, take away all this, these symptoms of fatigue and other problems that relate or get their sex drive back again. Can people experience these things? Yes, yeah, you, you can heal and you will heal as long as you remove the sources. And when people hit walls or they're like, oh, I've been doing this treatment for a while, I'm just not feeling like I'm getting results. Open the blinders up, like open the eyes up, and are, am I missing any pieces to the puzzle? It's usually you're missing some, you know, some piece of the puzzle, but there's, there's always hope. There's absolutely hope. I mean, my wife today is the healthiest she's ever been. And she was near death, I mean, literally five and a half years ago when my daughter was born. I mean, she was on her deathbed, you know, and it, I, I, I almost don't even want to go to that point because I'll probably tear up just thinking about it. But, I mean, looking at her today, you just, you wouldn't even know she went through what she went through in her lifetime because she's doing so well, which is just, it's hope, right? It's hope. That is hope. Wonderful. Thank you. Dr. J, I'm curious about the issue of fertility in this country from the studies, the interviews that I've been uh, conducting and a part of, I'm seeing that there is a dramatic decrease. And so a lot of people are concerned about a population increase in the world, but, but what a lot of people don't realize is that we're suffering a demographic winter in the U.S., that we're actually having a population decline, and, and, it's, and then it's the uh, Anglo-Saxon, um, typical American family that, that is often under attack in regards to having less children because of uh, getting married later and d different things like that. But, but the other factor that I've been looking at is seeing that a lot of people are, uh, a lot of women are struggling to get pregnant and then those that even are falling pregnant, there is a much higher rate of um, children having challenges like autism and, and also uh, autism and Down syndrome. And, and, it, and 
both of these things have been, um, we're seeing more information come out in regards to what it is that the women are experiencing, what their nutritional um, uh, deficiencies may be that may um, contribute. And I'm, I'm curious as to you looking at that problem, is fertility a problem today? So that, you know, you might have, you, for example, a family might be speaking to an individual that has children and, uh, you know, how, how can you raise a healthy family so then when they get to reproductive age and they're going to do that, that they are able to do that successfully. So over to you, is there a problem with fertility today and how do we get this thing working properly? There's a massive issue with fertility. I mean, when you actually look at research, men's sperm counts are at an all-time low. And when you take a step back and you think about, okay, having a child, getting pregnant, you know, male and female, obviously, it takes to get, to get pregnant, and actually look at from, you know, how the body was designed, you have to be healthy enough to bear a child. So when somebody starts having a quote-unquote chronic illness, one of the first things that disappears is your sex drive because if the body's not well, the body doesn't want to reproduce, right? The body is trying to survive in the moment. But look at what's happening right now in our culture, Jonathan. Glyphosate is everywhere. Where we think, oh, I'm buying organic, I'm not exposed to it. Glyphosate's in the rainwater. You know, we share one atmosphere on this earth that when somebody sprays in one area, it, we share it all over the place. Glyphosate's a huge one for affecting toxicity in general, will bring down sperm levels. But what does everybody carry around in their hand or in their pocket all day so they can stay connected to the world, right? Cell phones, like they're, and, and where do guys or dudes put their phone? Right in their pocket, front pocket or back pocket, like right next to their giblets, right next to their prostate. I mean, these are these reproductive sex uh, organs that need to, you know, make sperm, which is usually a 90-day life cycle. So if somebody's not healthy, for them to get pregnant, it's tougher because the body is saying, you gotta, we gotta deal with you first before we're all of a sudden gonna have a child. So I see, for, clinically, I see fertility way down. Um, you know, people being able to be fertile and have children, which of course then the industry, the fertility industry, right, or infertility industry, I guess you would call it, of trying to artificially inseminate and things like that. People, I mean, it, that industry is booming right now, so they don't want any change in that. But um, yeah, and there, there's something seems ingenuous about that at, 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 at times, not obviously with all clinics and all circumstances, but it does seem like, why aren't we getting more information to help people? That this, if this problem is happening so universally, there must be a cause rather than just, oh, it just happens to me, I better just go to this clinic. There must be a way that our bodies can naturally, uh, women can naturally get pregnant, men can naturally ins inseminate. Um, seminate. Um, so, can you? Uh, what do you? What do you think? Is is there something that is just not being told to us right now because it, it's profiting different bodies, or or not? Well, it it comes back to the same things of if somebody's diagnosed with an autoimmune condition or they're diagnosed with this or that. Like, there's still there's only so many sources of health, so many sources of what causes so many health issues, right? Parasites, you know, other infection toxicity, heavy metal toxicity, pesticide toxicity, mold, which ends up being a living toxin, you know, a toxin. There's also the mental emotional stressors, but so if somebody's having fertility issues, if they're having autoimmune struggles, you still need to deal with the upstream sources to get the body well. And when the body heals, it heals, everything heals. It doesn't pick and choose, oh, I'm, you know, I'm just going to heal the shoulder now and everything else will wait. It's like, no, when the body heals, it heals. And when the body is healthy, it's ready to give birth 
or to procreate, right, to have, to have offspring. And that's really the goal is let's get the body overall healthy. So instead of, okay, you're, you're not fertile, you've been trying, you know, for eight years to try to get pregnant, now you're going to a clinic. It's like, well, in that time, has anything been done overall to actually help your health, to actually improve your overall health? And, and that's the shift I, I believe we need to make is not, you know, using a treatment to try to get pregnant, but to look at overall body health. And if we improve the health, I think fertility issues will, you know, will diminish and, you know, obviously people will be more fertile. Have you seen it happen? Yeah, we, I've had clients, you know, it's, it's always the funny phone call when you're like, Dr. J, thank you so much. Uh, since we've been working together, you know, I've, uh, you've been able to get me pregnant, you know, it's like, wait a minute, you got to watch that terminology here. Like, you got well and you and your husband got pregnant, you know. So, but uh, yeah, I've, I've seen that before, um, actually quite a few times uh, throughout the years. And that's always exciting, you know, to know like, hey, there's kids in this world that might not have been just because, you know, somebody made the right proper changes to their health. That's awesome. And what, what are the, what's a couple of, what's a few things that somebody could do that was wanting to fall pregnant? What's a couple of things that they could assess as being triggers that are causing infertility and a couple of things that they could start doing that would help, you know, their body to be a, a, a great nurturer of, of new life. Yeah. So I, I would go back to uh, what are the sources, right? What are the underlying sources of your health issues and address those and deal with them? Toxicity is a big epidemic. Pathogens like, you know, Lyme and co-infections and parasites are a big epidemic. So remove the toxin, clear out the bad pathogen. Body has a healthy environment. Now on the other side of it... What about EMFs? Oh, e EMFs are a huge category. Um, so EMF, or it's really the technical term we'd say is EMR, electromagnetic radiation, is more of the scientific, uh, you know, research category. EMF is still a, a popular buzzword, but um, cell phones around you, Wi-Fi on, Bluetooth. I mean, literally, in my house about a year and a half ago, I had an EMF guy come in and analyze it, and in my office alone, I had the Wi-Fi router, which had two different Wi-Fi signals, like 2.4 and 5 gigahertz or something. And the, he looked at it because I'm in a little 1,200 square foot place. You've, you've been there. Uh, pretty small house. And he's like, this is an industrial router for like this tiny house. I'm like, yeah, but it's fast, you know, because I like technology. So I had this router about six feet from my head. I had a Sonos Wi-Fi speaker right next to that. Uh, in the closet, I had a printer that was Wi-Fi. I had my laptop, which was connected Wi-Fi, even though I was right next to the router. I then had that on a stand, so it's ergonomic, right? So I'm not like hunched over, but then I had a wireless keyboard and mouse, which was Bluetooth. So I had Bluetooth on, Wi-Fi on. He came in with the meters in my, in my office. He turned, he has like three, three different settings. He turned it all the way down and he's like, uh, Dr. J, I, like it still says off the chart. I, I can't even get a number, it's so high in here. And I started thinking, I'm like, is that why I get tired? Like by, you know, four or five o'clock at the end of the day, like, this, you know, electromagnetic radiation that's just constantly stressing me out. And sure enough, we, it's a hard switch, you know, when you say get rid of Wi-Fi, get rid of Bluetooth, get rid of the wireless thing, because wireless is so convenient, right? There's not wires everywhere. But when we did that in our house, we made a decision. Uh, after he came in with meters, I'm like, okay, we got to do it. Immediately, my daughter started sleeping through the night. Our house was peaceful. Like, it just, 
it immediately changed the environment. And it was at that point, I'm like, you know what? EMFs, EMR, you know, electromagnetic radiation is a big issue. And it's a big stressor for somebody trying to get pregnant too. So at minimum, shut your Wi-Fi router off at night. You can go get one of those Christmas light timers or like a fish tank, you know, light timer where it turns it on every morning at, you know, 8 a.m. or shuts in, shuts it off at night, you know, every night at 10 p.m. I think that's a first starting spot, you know, for, for you listening. Just go get a timer, shut it off at night minimum. But the long-term picture is let's get rid of the wireless technology because anything that transmits wirelessly is creating electromagnetic radiation, which then is just another stressor. It's another thing to fill our buckets up to more likely to tip and cause autoimmune issues, to cause, you know, all kinds of different things in our body. Thank you so much for that. And then in regards to fertility, I, I know there was a particular study that happened by accident with bank tellers and w women that were working. And can you tell me about that one? Yeah. So um, our EMF guy, he he came in. So uh, his name is Michael Schwabe. He's in California. I live in San Diego. Um, and he was helping people to, you know, clean. The, he helps people measure the EMF, EMR, and clean up the environment. And there was specifically a bank that actually had um, a bunch of female tellers that were trying to get pregnant. And like literally all of them are not having issues, you know, not being able to become pregnant. Or if they did, they were having miscarriages. And they actually had an EMF, EMR expert come into their house uh, or come into the bank, excuse me, and measure the EMR in the bank. And what they found was that it was off the charts. They cleaned it up. And the next thing you know, like literally almost every single teller was pregnant and the owner called, you know, the person that was, you know, checking and was like, thank you so much for everything that you've done. Uh, the only issue is, is now I'm not going to have any employees in a few months because literally everybody's going to be out on maternity leave, you know? So, but, but it shows, you know, the environment you're in, like right now when you're listening, you're thinking about your house. The big things is mold, which any water damage can... Uh, facilitate mold which then can affect air quality and then the other th thing that you can't see is EMF or EMR and it's really cool if you actually Google um, EMF or even EMR and Krillian photography you can actually see what Wi-Fi looks like from a photograph uh, it's actually pretty pretty scary when you when you actually see it, it I mean because when you can't see EMFs or EMR, you're like, oh, it's not a big deal, right? Oh, I got my phone in my pocket. Yeah, whatever, Dr. J, I'm moving on. But it's these stressors that just, it, they tip the bucket, you know? And if you're somebody struggling right now, like, you have to remove those stressors to get well. Like, remove them, and I, I promise you, you will heal faster from that. Thank you for watching this episode. Um, highly encourage you, you know, take this home for your library. Uh, so you can share this with others and obviously help others as well. And uh, thank you for watching this episode. Hope you got a ton of value from it. Uh, highly encourage you to as well. Support this mission. You know, take this home with you. Uh, but we will have more to come. And just so excited to keep uh, for you to keep learning, growing. Uh, and as I always say, you know, the elephant doesn't get eaten with one bite. One bite at a time, you know, is how you really eat an elephant. So keep plugging away, keep learning, and um, we'll see you in the next episode.
Thank you for listening. It's my sincere hope that you found this episode helpful. Find more information on topics that address autoimmune disease, neurodegenerative diseases such as Alzheimer's and dementia, anxiety, depression, and much more on the websites listed in the description below so that we can all educate and raise people's awareness of the resources we need to heal, maintain wellness, and thrive. Until next time, be well, my friends, and share the health.